0: Thank you for listening to the Bible Preaching Ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Good morning. Boy, i tell you one thing. That truth right there is perhaps the greatest truth in the Christian life. Faith is where our victory is. Well, good morning, each one of you, and happy Lord's Day. And for those of you that are welcoming our online family, we love you and so glad that you're with us today. We can't wait till you can join us and we can hug your neck. Who is God? God is sovereign. General Thomas Jackson was one of the best-known generals of the Civil War. He was a brilliant strategist, as well as a devout Christian, and certainly never one to hide his faith. In fact, Jackson's dependence upon God is legendary. Almost every historical account will talk about it. But perhaps never more strikingly than the early hours of July 21st, 1861, just prior to the first battle of Bull Run. It was a glimmer of dawn just breaking forth when Jackson was seen crying out to God, asking for God's will to be done. Almost immediately, however, things did not go well for his outnumbered troops. Someone over the din of the battle told them, Look over there, and look at Jackson. There he was, sitting erect in his saddle, cannon fire exploding all around him, his left hand wounded by a musket ball. He did not flinch. In fact, word spread among the men, look at Jackson standing there like a stone wall. Stonewall Jackson, as he would be known from that day forward, paced back and forward across that hazardous front line. At the end of the day, General Jackson toured his battlefield to look at the losses. There, sadly, he knelt beside so many And as he knelt beside one soldier whose dead body was there, one of the captains that was close by asked him, General, how is it? How can you be so serene with the storm of shells and bullets all about you? Jackson replied to that man, Captain Smith, My faith teaches me to feel as safe in the battle as I do in my bed God has a fixed time for my death I do not concern myself with that time but to be always ready no matter what might overtake me what was Stonewall Jackson declaring he was declaring that God a sovereign God was over the details of his life his bravery was amazing But it was based on a belief that God is on the throne of the universe, directing all things, God is sovereign. Or as we say it, He reigns. And that's why the word reigns is in sovereign. He is sovereign. One aspect I think that sets apart our God above every other entity out there is the fact that He is reigning over this world. And as we dig deeper into that this morning, I think it will make a difference in our very hard-working lives, sometimes barely hanging on lives. If God were to fill out a resume, I think it would be found in Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is an amazing psalm in that it was one of the few psalms given to us by Moses, the man of God. Here Moses said, Before the mountains, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, Before there ever was even a mountain, or ever thou hast formed the earth, the world, the universe, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You have never given up your reign. You've always been God from the beginning. If God provides the materials, if God takes those materials and puts it together, then God has the right of total control. He owns everything. He made everything. The late Bishop Edwin Hughes was a well-known evangelical Methodist in the early 1900s. He was known for his powerful sermons. He once delivered a very powerful and convicting sermon on the subject of God's sovereignty, God's ownership. One of the parishioners, well to do, nose got out of joint by that thought. And the man took Pastor out for lunch, walked through his elaborate gardens, his woodlands, and his vast estate. Upon completion, he looked at the pastor and he said, Now, Pastor, are you going to tell me that all of this does not belong to me? And Bishop Hughes smiled and suggested, well, my brother, ask me that same question a hundred years from now. <laughs> the truth is, yes, God owns everything. And the clarity of God's sovereignty is going to, I think, just be such a blessing to you this morning. Let's all bow our heads for to prayer. And let's add God's uh, mind on this, the Holy Spirit to open our hearts. And so, Lord, this morning, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. God, I thank you for these that are here, those that are joining us online, Lord, perhaps even thousands right now, that God, I pray that each one of us all would get a glimpse of your sovereign reign in Jesus' name, amen. We took a wonderful break last week, and Pastor Mike gave us a great message on who Jesus is, and I'm so grateful for that. And so the week before that, we started our message on God's sovereignty. And so let me just do a little bit of review. First of all, we noticed it was a confronting doctrine. Perhaps no doctrine is so in the face of so many, because to say that God owns and God reigns, that kind of gets inside some people's craw. It's a humbling doctrine to know that God is God and not us. It's an encouraging doctrine in the fact that, hey, it's good to know that God's got this, no matter how it seems like it's out of control. It's an intriguing doctrine, gloriously mysterious, how that God can weave everything together just hard to understand, but wonderfully intriguing. It is a liberating doctrine in that it frees us from so much confusion. Hey, guess what? God wins. I mean, sometimes we get all upset, all the stuff going on. Who couldn't? But I tell you what, I'm glad to know that God wins. Jesus is sovereign. We've noticed, number one, God's sovereignty is real. It's real. It extends to every place. In fact, Scripture says he looks down at the earth. He sees everything. It not only extends to every place, but every person. The Bible said even the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and God turns it. God works on that heart. Not only places and not only people, but the proceedings that go on in this earth. God's sovereignty is real. He is at work. And then we noticed, sadly, crazy actually, God's sovereignty is resented. There is no doctrine that people resent any more than the fact that God reigns. If we were to get it, have a sign out on our sign out there uh, with thousands, I think 15,000 trips a day I think was the last report there on West Lane 15,000 people came by that if we said Jesus is Lord over Samuel King County I promise you we would get some (laughs) kickback people would say oh no he's not but it is a we could say Jesus is love people wouldn't care but if you say God is sovereign that is people resent that. It's crazy in such a world where we need such stability. Atheists deny it. Extremists distort it. Formalists dismiss it. But today we are going to celebrate the sovereignty of God. And so let's continue in our outline. Number three, God's sovereignty is refined. By the way, Uh, You have to, you can go on your app and you can fill out the little outline. I think you have to use your own uh, data there, your own cell. We're getting some new, uh, we got a new cell tower coming in. And so hopefully we'll be able to have everything going at once. But uh, get your app, download it, and you can get the notes right there or you can fill them out here as we're in the services. God's sovereignty is refined. Now, in order to get a really sound grip on the doctrine of God's sovereignty, I believe that there are at least five balancing truths. Now, when I talk about a balancing truth, I'm not saying that this is truth and this is a a different truth. No, I'm talking about a complementary truth or a clarifying truth. For example, many times in scripture, God uses the word mercy and truth in the same sentence, reminding us that yes, God is a God of mercy, but that doesn't mean he's not a God of truth. Or God is a God of truth, but that doesn't eliminate the fact that he is a wonderful God of mercy. And so these are clarifying truths. In your toolbox of biblical interpretation, put these in there, and I believe it'll be helpful. God is sovereign. He reigns over everything. And so the first clarifying truth is this, that in events are incidents, not accidents in God's sovereignty. There are many things in life that seem casual, unplanned, even accidental, are actually, to us, they are determined by the Lord. And Sometimes as believers, uh, we uh, get the idea that God is big, and there's nothing too big for God. While that truth kind of rumbles around in our head, nothing too big for God, nothing too big for God. Boy, I tell you what, God's got this, nothing's too big for God. That's a good truth to have. But a balancing truth, one that we're saying this morning is, while nothing is too big for God, also there is nothing too small for God. God the Son said about God the Father that he cares about even what sparrows eat. Nothing is too small for God. As strange as it may sound, the events of life, seemingly mundane, such as getting stuck in traffic, flight cancellations, and even some minor setback, all of these delays happen to you, and probably you'll find out later that this was God's way of protecting you. Let me give you a clear instance of this in 1 Kings. Jehoshaphat was the righteous, God-ordained king of Judah. But that didn't make him instantly smart. He foolishly made an affinity with Ahab the whiner. He was a backslidden, not a good guy. And as a result, Jehoshaphat almost lost his life. Ahab the king's shocking death was predicted by Elijah. Elijah. Let me say about Elijah, this was a no-joke preacher. I'm gonna tell you, this guy was serious. He was a serious guy. Look at chapter 19 and verse 17. The word of the Lord came to the Elijah the Tishbite, saying, By the way, this is one of those things in scripture you never know what that means. Elijah the Tishbite. We don't know what that means, but it always says it in Scripture. I guess he was from a place called uh, Tish. I'm not sure. But verse 18. Arise, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth. Ah, we know about that guy. Whither he has gone down to possess it. This whining uh, snowflake of a king wanted Naboth's vineyard regardless of what it... He had everything, but he just wanted his neighbor's vineyard. Verse 19, thou shalt speak unto him. Thus... Sayeth the Lord, by the way, Ahab had Naboth killed. Hast thou killed and taken possession? Thou shalt speak unto him, saying this. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. When Elijah the Tishbite looks you in the eye and says these words, you better start trembling. Thus, saith the Lord, in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. True to prophecy, Ahab was later in a battle with Syria. He died. And when they washed out his, the blood of his, uh, that was in his chariot, the dogs licked his blood. Now, let me give you the rest of the story because it fits into what I'm talking about. Let's go to chapter 22 and verse 34. One of the soldiers deployed by the king without any specific thought of saving a nation or of hitting Ahab, he just took his bow, he just let it fly into the general direction of the enemy, and notice what happens. God took a hold of that arrow, verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 34. And a certain man drew a bow adventure and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. Now, folks, if that is not the sovereign working of a God, accident? No, that was an incident. That guy just let that arrow fly, and God got a hold of that arrow, took it through the air, and specifically put right into the harness, the joint of the harness so that it killed Ahab. Freak accident? Folks, there's no such thing as luck with God. It is the perfect timing of a sovereign God who is teaching and growing and protecting us. There are at least five balancing truths to the sovereignty of God. The second one is this. Our actions should not be determined solely by God's sovereignty. Now, I believe we should be alert to the sovereign movings of God. But we should never say and try to live our life by signs. In the 40 years in the people business, I can tell you I've seen some people and frankly, some of the most screwball assumptions I've ever heard come from religious people. I sad to say that but a lot of people in this world and even Christian people live their life looking for signs. Now signs are intriguing. They are interesting. They are delightful if we can connect the dots but i'm uh, afraid that we must be careful about reading too much into these signs like a woman was trying to figure out should i go to europe on a vacation god the next morning she woke up she looked at her digital clock and it said seven four seven she said god wants me to get on a 747 and go to europe i just know that now folks Fact of the matter is God's sovereign events are more clearly seen after the fact than before the fact. People say hindsight is 2020. Well, spiritual hindsight is 2010. Meaning this, God's sovereign movings are meant to be a diary, not a Bible. I'm supposed to look back on them and say, look what God did. I might not really know for a year or five years or ten years. Or 40 years, all of a sudden I look back and say, I get it. This is what God was doing. Let me give you, I think, a great example of this. Bold Peter, Simon Peter, was simply not going to allow Jesus to wash his feet. In his mind, that was sacrilegious to have the Messiah to wash his feet. Jesus gently but firmly clarified what was going on. John 13 and verse number seven, Jesus said to Peter, he said, what I do, thou knowest not now. You don't get it right now. You don't get what I'm gonna do. But he said, you shall know hereafter. Without going into a lot of details, God the Son gave one reason why Peter must submit, and a powerful truth that we all would do well to remember, and that is this. We can't figure things out when we're in the midst of a lot of times. It takes a few days, or a few weeks, or a few months, or a few years, especially spiritually. Jesus said, first of all, you don't have all the facts yet. Second of all, you don't Understand the facts. You can't put them together. The significance of what I'm doing and washing your feet is so important that you must let me do it, even though you don't understand it. That's like people say, well, as soon as I understand baptism, I'll get baptized. Well, uh, we're all for understanding it, but frankly, folks, we ought to get baptized because it's the obedient thing to do, whether you understand it or not. You're going to understand later. I believe perhaps one of the greatest American hymn writers uh, said it best. Charles Albert Tindley, born in 1851. His father was a slave. His dad and his mom died uh, when he was young. And so Charles was raised by his aunt. He was an amazing man. He taught himself to read and to write. He worked as a janitor in a small church. He attended Bible college and school in the evening And he mastered Greek and Hebrew on his own. In 1902, he became pastor of the same church where he had been the janitor. It grew steadily under his leadership until at the time of his death, 12,000 members in that church. Now he did not have an easy life, but the words of his most famous song, hymn that we still sing today, still resonate so powerful. Here's what he's saying. We'll understand it better by and by. When the mists have rolled away, we will understand it by and by. By and by when the morning comes, when the saints of God are gathered home, we'll tell the story how we've overcome. We'll understand it better by and by. Folks, we'll understand it better. For a night now, we just take it, receive it, understand God's working. Now, there are five at least balancing truths. The third one is this. There is no standing in the way of God's sovereignty. I mean, folks, it's a great day when we realize there are just some things that are meant to be. And it's a great moment when we just take a step back and say, you know what? (laughs) I'm not going to stop this. This is a God thing. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I think I'm just going to have to take a step back on this one. I think a great example is that of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul perhaps was the greatest New Testament Christian, powerful, incredible ministry, pretty pretty much only lasted 15 years, didn't get saved till a bit later in life. He humbly, he boldly, fruitfully went out and preached all over the Middle East, powerful, powerful preaching. At the beginning, he preached mostly to the Jews, not an easy thing to do and he preached to those of his countrymen and he told them look i get it i i get the whole judaism thing i understand where you're coming from i know the bible backwards and forth the old testament he said i know it backwards and forth i was uh, i was taught at the feet of gamaliel trust me i know what you're thinking but he said the day that i found jesus i found the key that opened up the entire Bible. Until then, it was a lot of just facts and figures. I got it, Jesus is the Messiah. Well, that was a powerful, powerful truth. He, God used him to transform cities, entire areas. God used him in an amazing way. Well, there was one burden on Paul's heart. He just had this hunger to go to Rome. He just needed to go there. He felt God's calling to go there. He just said, I've got to go there. Everybody knew that was not a good idea. From a purely human standpoint, it was a stupid plan, really. Because Nero was emperor and Nero was one evil dude. I'm telling you, this guy was a bad guy. He was crazy, nuts. And he just would take people out, entire families. I mean, he would just, Get rid of people, they'd never be seen again. Paul said, I don't care. I am going to Rome. His friend said, Don't go. A fellow preacher said, I heard from God you're not supposed to go. Agabus said, You can't go. And Paul said, Look, I'm going. Now you can either get behind me or whatever, but I'm going to Rome. And so, That being the background, listen to this verse. Verse 14 of chapter 21, the book of Acts. And when he would not be persuaded, he was a stubborn preacher. He was just a preacher you could not persuade. We ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. Folks, there are simply times the best policy Just get your white flag and just say, I surrender. (laughs) Let the will of the Lord be done. Paul contemplated deeply what he was doing. He didn't make it uh, uh, with a rash decision, but he said, if God be willing that I would die, then so be it. Scripture. number. there is a fourth reason why, a fourth balancing truth, and that is that Scripture is to be trusted even as we experience God's sovereignty. Getting a glimpse of God's sovereignty is amazing. It's miraculous. To watch God move things around like a, like a divine chess player is just incredible. Given that, sometimes we might be tempted to make the sovereign movings of God equal with scripture. But folks, we must be careful about trusting circumstances and putting them at a level with scripture. Solomon warned about that. He said, be careful about taking the circumstances of life because you're human. You have a mind, you have a will, but you have emotions. And once your emotions get into things, man, I'm telling you, you just never know where this thing's gonna go. Look at Proverbs 28 and verse 26. He that trusts his own heart or his emotions is a fool. You are a foolish person, son. but whoso walketh wisely, that's a person who lives in the word, loves the word, follows the word, he shall be delivered. Folks it doesn't get any more plain than that. If we follow our emotions, we are a fool. Now there's nothing wrong about our emotions. There's nothing sinful about our emotions. It's a God-given part of our psyche. It's just that we cannot trust them, folks. If we trusted our emotions as absolute truth, there would be no teenagers alive. (laughs) Parents would have killed them all. (laughs) The other day, there was a black widow in my uh, garage, and Abby was freaking out. I don't know all about. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I've heard that they call those spiders black widows because they eat their husband. Is that right? They eat the male spider. Now, folks, I'm telling you, well, that's scary. But I'll tell you what: I know some folks that kind of maybe want to do that to their mate. But folks, that's emotions. That's not following Scripture. Don't put those circumstances equal with Scripture. God had promised to make David king. God had promised him to make him the king of Israel. But the fact is, the promise of God didn't seem to be fitting the circumstances that he was under. At least for the first seven and a half years, David was king for 40, but for the first, basically fourth of his reign, I'll tell you one thing, it was not good. In fact, uh, many of the Psalms were written during that time. How many times have you read through one of David's Psalms and he is just crying out to God, Oh God, my enemies are this way. He was so overcome with the stuff going on that by the end of the psalm, he was praising God. God, you're great. I give you honor and praise. You're a great God of glory. And I mean, here's a man who didn't let his emotions overcome him. He dealt with them. It's okay to let them out uh, wisely and, and reverently. But he said, God, I just trust your word. David, I think is a great example of someone who balanced his emotion with the truth of God. And then finally this morning, I think there's a fifth balancing truth. And that is that there's often an intermingling of the sweet and the bitter in God's sovereignty. Now in my mind, my human mind, if I'm blessed, then everything's going good. I'm on this steady climb and it's just going good. But in God's economy, there are often contrarian signals. My idea of going up is a straight line up, but God said there's this steady over the years, you're making increase, but there's some dips and some uh, times that are going to be down. In Psalm 101, most scholars believe that David was the author. This particular psalm happened immediately after Saul's death. Now, this was a very sad moment for David, as Saul was his mentor, and yet. Saul was kind of a crazy guy. He had tried to throw a javelin at David, and I mean, uh, he was all jealous. It was not an easy thing. So David was conflicted. He loved Paul, or excuse me, Saul. He, He was his mentor. And at the same time, he realized Saul had gotten off base. So in verse number one of this song, notice what he says. I will sing of mercy. Now folks, everybody sings of mercy. I mean, every praise song is about God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, you know, God's faithfulness. Not a lot of praise songs about the justice of God. That's because it's hard for humans to kind of understand that God is involved in justice. I will sing of mercy. But David said, I've learned to also sing of judgment. I've, under- I've found out that as we go through life, There are contrarian signals that actually are just as much an understanding of God as these acts of God's mercy. Unto Thee, O Lord, I will sing. Maybe that is exactly why later David was passing through a particular area in 2 Samuel chapter 16. David was passing through a particular area of Israel and out of the bushes, Came this little twit. His name was Shimei. Shimei was absolutely incensed that David was now the king. He was a relative of Saul, and he was bitter at this and that. And he was just—he's a crazy guy. And he picked up rocks and started throwing them at David. Look at verse 12. Well, David's right-hand man said, "I'm going to take his head off." David said, "No, come on now, come on, just calm down." And notice what David. The proof that David gave him was all about the sovereignty of God. He said, look, it may be that the Lord, notice he didn't know for sure, but he said, it could be that the Lord will look on mine affliction on this situation and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. He said, I'm not sure if I can put it all together, but I can tell you one thing. God is over this situation. And God is gonna do something about it. And just maybe God would bring good out of this situation. Now, God's sovereignty is real. It's real over places, it's real over people, it's real over the proceedings we're in. God's sovereignty, sadly, bizarre really, is resented. And number three, we talked just now that God's sovereignty is refined. There are some balancing truths, some clarifying thoughts. Now, finally, this morning, God's sovereignty is relished. I mean, folks, when we just stop and begin to think about this great truth, you are going to relish the thought. First of all, we should appreciate God's ways. If for any moment the sovereignty of God was withdrawn from this world, we're goners. I mean, absolute goners. That's why the apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter one, if Paul was the human author of Hebrews, proclaimed. He said, all the Old Testament prophets, remember now the book of Hebrews, the the theme is Jesus is more better. (laughs) More better. Jesus is more better. Paul was saying, look, nothing wrong with the prophets. They're amazing. Nothing wrong with the angels. They're great, but Jesus is better. Verse three, who Jesus being the brightness of his glory, God, the father, And the express image of his person. You want to know what God is like? Get to know Jesus. And listen to this upholding all things by the word of his power. Jesus holds everything together. Jesus is the reason why everything isn't exploding. The other day I went to Lowe's and I picked up some Gorilla Tape, a little project. And I'm telling you one thing, they said on that little package it was super sticky. And they were right. I couldn't hardly get it off my finger. I thought, couldn't I? Gorilla tape. And then I needed uh, some glue. And so I got, I said, man, it's so good. I got some gorilla glue. And I'll tell you one thing, that worked good. I heard the other day some uh, gal in America, she ran out of some stuff to keep her hair in place. And so she put gorilla glue in her hair. Did you read about that? And uh, I'm not sure, but I'm sure she was blonde. And, uh, but anyway, put gorilla glue in your head? Oh, I'm telling you. Now, there are so many people today that are all freaked out. They said, look at all the gun violence. And folks, I agree, it's, it's a problem. What we need is more laws, really. They say, look at all the systemic prejudice." What we need is more laws, okay. The health crisis, what we need is more laws, really. Climate change, what we need is more laws. (laughs) That's the answer it seems like every time. Just last week, now folks, I'm not joking, that's exactly what they all say. Just last week, I read about some liberal lawmakers in Colorado, this, and I quote, was the law they passed. One may not mutilate a rock in a state park. There you go. I know that's going to solve everything right there. Don't you be going out there mutilating any rocks now, folks? I'll tell you what. Now, let me assure you this morning, it is not the government that is going to keep this world from imploding. If anything, it'll implode if they get a hold of it. All. Folks, God is sovereign. God is in control. He upholds all things by the word of his power. As humans, we're very limited in our power. They say we're going to pass a law and change the climate. Oh, good luck with that one. <laughs> Folks, God holds all things together. And God never allows anything further than his sovereign will. We should appreciate God's Ways Number two, we should submit to God's ways. Now, strangely, God uniquely, really strange to us as humans, mystery, God some way or some form brings glory out of all the craziness. Folks, when when it all shakes out at the end, when it all just shakes out, guess what? God is going to be glorified how many times in scriptures it's talked about glory, glory, glory. God puts glory. Folks, that's not my glory. (laughs) When God promises to put glory on our life or glory on a place, it means a reflection of God's glory. I'm I'm just a mirror. God shines and I'm just, it's a reflection on the Lord. In the end, God's going to get glory from everything. David in Psalm 8, was looking at the events of life, and literally he said these words. I love it. He said, I was looking around. He was referring to really the creation. He said in verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, he said, I see your fingerprints all over the moon, the stars, which you have, what? Ordained. God ordained it, God foreordained it. He has sovereign will. When we really begin to see God working sovereignly, wow, I just see the fingerprints of God. In my beautiful office I have over here, I'm so grateful for it. A whole lot different than the office Pastor Mike had there on Murray Drive, about a 10 foot by 10 foot square. But it's a beautiful office. But on Mondays, I come in for a few hours, and uh, inevitably, I look over at my beautiful little glass table I have there, and I have a bulldog on it to remind me of what it takes to get the job done. And uh, there, on that glass top, there are fingerprints all over it. I mean, just all kinds of fingerprints. And you know what I know? I know that the grandkids have been in my office. Their fingerprints are all over it. Now, wouldn't it be great if we could look at an event and say after the fact, maybe a day or two later, wow, God's fingerprints all over that. God is just all over that. Jesus, I think, gave us the best way to deal with so much of life when he said in Luke 9, he said, look, as you're going through life, here's the best plan. He said unto them all, if any man will come after me, deny himself take up his cross and all of us have our own cross you can't carry my cross and i can't carry yours god will give you grace for your cross and just follow jesus and just say you know what god's working we should appreciate god's ways we should submit to god's ways and number three we should believe in god's ways much of life is basically this, frankly, sad, but it's true. You know what? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Now, I don't mean to discourage us here, but the fact is God is just working and he works like he does. He does it like he does. And as humans, we don't get that. We, we just don't get those step backs, the we like the two steps forward, but not the one step back. A great example is in Isaiah 45. We talked about it here a few weeks ago. Isaiah 45 and verse seven. Cyrus was God's discipline switch. He was God's belt on the back of his beloved children Israel. But and this verse has been misinterpreted for so long. Look at verse seven. I. Form, it's just God speaking. God said, I form the light. Amen. We all agree with that. Amen. God is a God of light. But notice that next verse, our next part of that verse. I create darkness. Whoa. I don't like those dark times. God said, but I do it. I make peace, Yay. Amen. I'm glad God is the peacemaker. If you don't have Jesus, you're never going to have any peace. God is the peacemaker. But then notice the next part. And this is the part that people have gone wacko on. I make peace and create evil. What? God creates evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, you can uh, study that yourself. All right, you can just believe me for a moment. I will tell you that that word, evil, is not the word for sin. God never created evil or sin. God redeems us from sin. God is a holy God. God promised us that he is so holy, he is a consuming fire. Sin can't even get in his presence, it's consumed. So God can't create evil. The word there is the word for adversity you can find other times in scripture when that verse is you or that word is used for the word for hardship as in the English language or adversity meaning God allows things he creates things he makes us take a step back in order to help us go ahead some time ago I had a really nice wristwatch I don't hardly wear them anymore. My, I, they get so sweaty. and Anyway, they, 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 I'm weird on it. But um, I, I, it's a beautiful watch. And on the back of it, it had a clear uh, back so that you could see. It was a mechanical watch. And you could see all the little wheels in it. I thought it was amazing. Now, one time I was looking at that little watch and watching those wheels. Almost every wheel was going in the same direction. But I noticed there were some small wheels going the opposite way. In order for the hands to go forward, some wheels had to go backwards. In my life, if I'm going to make progress, frankly, there are some wheels of God's sovereign providence that just go backwards. Isaiah, by the way, in that same chapter, goes on to say, don't fight God. (laughs) People say, don't fight God you know, City Hall. or Folks, fact is, fighting God doesn't get us anywhere. Might as well just say, Lord, I just yield to you. We should appreciate God's ways. We should submit to God's ways. We should believe in God's ways. And number four, we should be thankful for God's ways. Now, you were here this morning, and thank God, and for those of you, I know some of you are home, and because you are not feeling well. My heart goes out to, I tell you what, it's not, a, not an easy thing to You don't feel well, for sure. But if you are well enough to be here this morning, thank God. If you're able to get up this morning, thank God. Anytime we have any good health, folks, thank the Lord. But at the same time, when things aren't quite as good as we'd like to feel, or things aren't going like we'd like, we should thank God also. When I look at my checkbook and say, oh, that looks good. You know, after that stimulus came, everybody was all flushed with money and, you know, well, that looks kind of good. And then now, you know, oh my. but folks, I'm telling you, it is good when I've got a little bit in there, but it's good when I don't. Moses, I think, gave us a good thought on this. He was preparing the people, prepping them. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, now look, folks, we're going into this new land. This is old Moses now. I mean, he's 120 years old, about ready to kick off. (laughs) Probably should have gone on a long time before, but God kept him around. He had a ministry to the people, even over 100. Here he was, and he was looking at the people. No nonsense, you know. You kind of expect that from an old guy. He looked at them and said, folks, I'm telling you right now, when you get into this new land, and when you're building your houses, and you're making all your vineyards, and you're having all your good stuff going on, just remember, it is not you that's doing this. It is the hand of God. If God gives you good health, you better praise Him because it's God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. Don't you ever forget. It's God. For it is He that giveth thee the power to get well. It is God that gives you your health. It is God that gives you your strength. It is God that does anything good in your life. It is God. Don't ever forget that. And he just, he just laid it out for him. Why? So that he could establish a covenant with you and your fathers. I mean, good night, folks. He's saying, God has done this for you. Now the least you can do is serve him. A few, a couple years ago, I, I, I discovered that you can put these little symbols when you text people. Now, I started texting way back when they had these instant messages and then kind of began texting and now, boy, I text like a crazy person, and, uh, but I use these little symbols. They're called emojis. Don't know where it comes from. Don't know who made them, but I guess it's short for emotion, something like that, and they got all kinds of emojis. One of them I've stolen and I used for Jesus. And it's the finger. Now, I don't have any idea. I'm sure that Apple or whoever put it out there, they didn't say, put the finger there because it's talking about God. But I use this finger like that saying, it's God. It's God. Whenever you see that finger, I I put that on a lot of, it's God. Someone says, great message. It's God. Someone says, boy, wonderful Sunday. It's God. Boy, it was great to see what's going on. It's God. It's God. Folks, take that symbol. And uh, they stole our rainbow from us. So I'm just going ahead and stealing that finger right there. And saying, you know what? Guess what? That's God. It is God. Folks, the only reason you were born in America is because of God. If it had not been for God, you and I would have been born in a pagan country. We perhaps never had heard the gospel. Pastor Mike gives his life to go to people who've never heard the gospel. But because we were born here by the grace of God, it is nothing for me. I didn't do that. God did that. God had me be born to these wonderful parents of mine. A pastor for a dad who raised me in the church and raised me in Christ and raised me in the word of God. It's only Jesus. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I mean, it is only God's grace that I am what I am. Amen. It is only the grace of God. We should appreciate God's ways. We should submit to God's ways. We should believe God's ways. We should be thankful for God's ways. And finally this morning, We should be comforted in God's ways. Have you ever heard the statement, the blood of martyrs is the water for the church? It is the fact that the church has grown because of people who have given the ultimate price. Again and again, God has proved it to be true. A contrarian symbol to be sure. That God often raises by bringing low. He often pushes us forward by holding us back. Exodus 1 and verse 12, I think, is a good example of that. God said, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. (laughs) The more they were afflicted and cut low, the more they grew. When we began to plant all this turf, and so grateful for those who keep it. I tell you what, it's not a, a a lot of grass around here to cut. But when we began to plant that, one thing they told us was, Grass loves mowing weeds hate it so if you want your grass to be weed free just keep it mowed watered and mowed and fertilized and you'll have a pretty good uh, grass out there folks it grows by cutting in our life or often we grow better when we've been cut low it's hard to grasp this Maybe that's why the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 told the Corinthian church, he said, Look, church, for now we see through a glass darkly. The best we can see is dark. The best. I mean, honestly, the most person in here has the most absolute perception and discernment. It's still dark. It really is. But someday... Face to face. I will look at the face of Jesus and he'll just smile. He'll say, this is why that happened. And I'll understand it. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am also known. There was once a man who got lost in the desert. After wandering around for a long time, His throat was dry. His mouth was parched. And he knew that if he didn't get some water, he was in deep trouble. About that time, he saw a little shack in the distance. And there in front of that shack was a pump. And next to that pump was a small jug of water and a note. And here is what the note read. Pour all of the water into the top of the pump. Prime it. And if you do this, you'll get all the water you need. Now, that man had a choice to make. If he trusted the note, poured the water in, and it worked, he was good. Would have all the water he needed. But if it didn't work, he would still be thirsty and likely die. Or he could choose what he knew that he had in his hand that water, and at least get some temporary satisfaction. but Likely, it wouldn't be enough, and he would still die. After thinking about it, the man decided to risk what he had read. He poured the entire jug, as he was told, into the rusty pump and began to work that handle. At first, nothing happened. He got a little scared, but he kept going, and soon enough, water began pouring forth. In fact, so much water, he drank all that he needed. He took a makeshift shower. He filled all the containers he could because he was willing to give up that momentary, temporary satisfaction and trust that written word. He got all the water he needed. There, he read the note again, and it said, Remember, after you finished, please refill the jug for the next traveler. And so that grateful man wrote on the bottom of that note the following words. Please prime the pump. Believe me, it works. Folks, we have a choice to make this morning. Do we hold on to what we have in our hands and say, oh, well, I got to go for this. This is my temporary satisfaction. Or do we trust a sovereign God who knows what's best, always sees the big pictures. Now, the choice is obvious this morning. We need to take all of we have in our hands and pour it out for God. It is time to trust a sovereign God. It is time to let go of that little water in our hand and say to God, God, I'm all in. God, I'm all in today. I accept you. Lord, I'll be baptized. I'm going to get involved. Lord, you have my life. I'm all in. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Our worship team's going to lead us in a wonderful chorus. Sovereign. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.